This week, our executive producer, Adam Gobeski, suggested we watch Head, the 1968 Monkeys movie. <laughs> However, instead, we're going to watch another movie he recommended. <laughs> the 1965, yeah, I'm not going to say classic, Alphaville. And welcome to another episode of Cinematic Respect. I'm Charlie Wallace, and I'm your first co-host. And I am Jessica Clare, your second co-host. thought I would start out the episode, Jessica, with a question sure. for you. And think very carefully about your answer. Do you know what illuminates the night? <laughs> I do, in fact. I just what recently learned. Be careful. <laughs> um, nachos. No, I don't know. What is it, hmm. Charlie? No, I totally know. <laughs> Uh, I don't think your answer was uh, sufficiently logical or not. I think you have to be executed. <laughs> that seems reasonable. My question is, are are a troop of synchronized swimmers going to usher me to my death? <laughs> well, yeah. In the traditional fashion. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Uh, so uh, I'm sure all of you could tell by that question exactly what movie we watched this week. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, but we watched the uh, 1965 French New Wave film, Alphaville, and our guest today is our executive producer, Adam Gopeski. Welcome back to the show, Adam. You are in error. <laughs> I am Alpha 60. <laughs> you know, it's not as believable when you have your own larynx. My apologies. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, I don't... I think this might be the first time in our podcast where none of us had seen the movie before. Woo! Yeah, so it's a a nice uh, a nice change About of pace. Time. So we're all on the same strange page with this one. <laughs> Stump the chumps! Yes, we did it. <laughs> we did it. Does that mean we have to retire? Is this uh, the last episode? I really, really hope this isn't the last movie we record. About <laughs> no, I just. That was my goal, and somehow you had seen The Searchers the last time I was on, which I still don't fully believe, but I was like, all right, weird French sci-fi film. Has Charlie seen that? No. Yes. Okay. Lemmy Caution is a secret agent uh, from the outer countries uh, who travels to Alphaville, and he is posing as a journalist named Ivan Johnson. He uh, is going there. He has kind of two goals. He's trying to find another agent, Henry Dixon, and he's also trying to capture or kill the creator of Alphaville, uh, Professor Von Braun, who apparently used to be named Professor Nesferatu. (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot of multiple names for all the characters. Um, And so in encountering uh, Alphaville, he finds that it is a town that's completely run by a crazy supercomputer called Alpha 60 with the creepiest voice ever, um, who kind of acts as a narrator. And in Alphaville, um, individualist concepts like love, poetry, and emotion are forbidden, and only logic, I don't know, and reason are allegedly supposed to prevail. If you can't conform to this, you will be killed. And so he is uh, trying to prevent Alphaville, or Alpha 60, excuse me, from expanding Alphaville to take over the other outer countries and in the process he falls in love of course the beautiful french woman which so what's actually funny about any plot synopsis 
of this movie is that it really tells you not very much about the film. No, no. I mean, I, I really, really tried, and I was very much um, no, borrowing that's exactly from, what happens I was in, borrowing very much from the internet. <laughs> sure. I mean, that's exactly what happens plot-wise in the film, but we should start off a little bit talking about French New Wave cinema, which basically came about in the late 50s and 60s as a response to a specific type of French film that existed at that point, which was... Uh, under the tradition de qualité. And those films are basically high production design period pieces that were often written by novelists. So just very hoity toity. And it's, those are often created just to kind of get back to the, to the tradition of film that the French had had before the world, uh, world war two. So you can imagine with enough films exactly like that out that um, the younger generation of filmmakers would actually rebel against it. So uh, people like Francois Truffaut uh, and Jean-Luc Godard, who uh, directed this film, and even Agnes Varda is someone who's still around. She actually was nominated for an Academy Award last year. So, I mean, yes, some of these people are still making films. For what? Um, It's a documentary called Faces Places. Did not win, but I heard very good things about it, and I haven't had a chance to check it out yet. So instead of these sort of stodgy period pieces, what they wanted to create was something that pushed the form a little bit farther. They thought that, you know, I guess what had come before hadn't really came into its own as an art form. Some of the hallmarks of these films are they're usually made on a tight budget. It has a lot of innovative camera work and editing techniques, uh, specific types of cuts. I guess one that um, is very common nowadays is a jump cut where you show somebody in the exact same position, but then you move forward in time. So they move just very slightly to show the passage of time. It's something that I had to even look up because like, I was like, oh, what is that exactly? And you see like, this is something that actually people use now. So some of these techniques were, some of them are very jarring to watch right now because they didn't really get picked up or they're not very intuitive to watch. But other ones actually are are things that are very commonly used today. Uh, These films also have a lot of improvisation, like looser scripts and weird things like fourth wall breaking, addressing the audience, like uh, weird cuts, like very choppy editing sometimes on purpose. So I guess the best way to explain it is if you see like a parody of a French film and like, you know, a comedy show or a cartoon or something like that, it's probably a French new wave film, (laughs) like the sort of weird, quote unquote, pretentious art film. So that's a little bit of what we're dealing with here. So as I said, when we go back to talking about you giving a plot synopsis, well, yeah, that's what's going on in the movie. But all of these other techniques are kind of going on at the same time to try to give you a completely different impression of what's going on. So Adam, sorry for the long introduction. Let's get back to our actual guest. Um, Hello. So you hadn't seen this before. Why did you choose this movie? I mean, you could have chosen another uh, Jean-Luc Godard film, maybe a, a... more well-known one like Breathless. Yeah, so I wasn't choosing this because of Godard. The reason I chose this is that, as you can probably tell from my previous uh, appearances on this podcast, I'm a something of a science fiction guy. And so this uh, this film tends to show up on a lot of like the, you know, 50 science fiction movies you must see before you die or, you know, the classic science fiction films or whatever. So I actually ended up coming across a used copy of the Criterion DVD and uh, for a reasonable price. So I picked it up and then I said, you know what? This seems like a great movie to force cinematic respect to also endure. (laughs) 
I think it's like the fourth time you've mentioned Criterion DVDs on this show. I just want to point that out, <laughs> that you might be the last person, aside from like, I don't know, somebody's grandparents who has those. I'm probably not the last person, but uh, you can pry physical media out of my cold, dead hands, frankly. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I hadn't seen this one. I actually hadn't seen this one either. And Yeah, I definitely hadn't seen this one. Yeah. <laughs> I feel okay about that. So it wasn't on your yearly watch list? No. I mean, I don't, I'm not angry that I saw it. I'm not like upset or anything. I think it's, you know, I get its value. Um, it's just not one that I'm like going to feel visit. guilty about <laughs> having not seen before now. I'm not embarrassed. Let All me right. put it that way. Uh, I'll be honest. I didn't know this movie existed. Like, and when I heard it was a good Godard, I was, I didn't expect it to be science fiction either. Like when I actually started watching and realized that, it had that sort of setting. I was like, oh, this is why Adam picked this movie. <laughs> it was a little bit clear to me. But yeah, I went in knowing absolutely nothing about this ahead of time. No, nothing. Except a little bit about French New Wave. Not tons, but enough to know that we were in for something an odd. experience. Yep. Which I warned Jessica about via text, too. <laughs> yes. Which was nice just to have a heads up so that, I mean, because I think the opening is definitely a little unsettling. Yeah, yeah. You know, this like piercing bright light flashing and the creepy, deep, gravelly narrator voice. All right. Yeah. It's, I guess we might as well just start off talking about Alpha 60 is the computer that controls Alphaville and is voiced by a man who has a voice box. Yes. Right. Because I think he's had to learn me or something like that along those lines. So that's the v- almost the first thing we hear in the movie, I think, besides the score. Yeah. And I feel like it's it's interesting because um for being for being a sci-fi dystopian themed story, um, it it it's not very scary. Like it's not meant. It's not the effects aren't really there to make it feel scary. But I think just the the use of, you know, everything's filmed at night or almost exclusively filmed at night. And then in combination with this really deep voice that, you know, kind of gravelly dark voice that almost like resonates with you yeah it's unsettling yeah and that's you're, you're immediately put in that state like from get-go yeah what did you think adam of uh, alpha 60 at the very beginning uh, just the introduction of well at, at the very beginning the first time i watched it um because i i don't know if it counts as cheating that i decided to watch it a second time to make sure i fully understood what was going on because the first viewing was a bit uh a bit uh dense at times yeah it's a, it's a long hour and a half i think <laughs> yeah um the first time, like, I was actually just completely confused, just like, what is going on? Who is this narrator and why do they have this odd voice, right? And then it's only, like, later that you sort of uh, make it c- perfectly clear that this is the voice of the the ruling computer. So, yeah, I think my initial reaction was just confusion. Yeah, I had a lot of that, too, where there's a lot of things that happened in the movie where I kind of guessed a little bit what was going on but i didn't trust myself and that was one of those things where i was like is this supposed to be a computer because it kind of sounds like a guy with a voice box but at the same time i don't know if the sound for this video is working properly (laughs) that was the other thing i mean it's not as i mean if you think of people with voice boxes now it's not nearly as robotic and so it's I guess like what you're saying, it has a little bit of a computery element to it, but it's not strong. Right, like it's definitely yeah. just more kind of sinister sounding. Well, well, I think part of it is that he almost certainly is speaking in a monotone, right? Oh, so, yeah. yeah. Like that obviously is, is adding to the impassionate feeling that it has because, you know, even at the time, right, people with voice boxes could get like, you know, you can still have emotion when you talk. Yeah. Right. You can get some pitch variation and stuff. So. 
I don't know. The, the very, very first notes I have are opens with annoying flashing light and the music is overly dramatic. <laughs> Those are literally my first two notes. <laughs> it is very dramatic music. Yeah. How did your opinion of the music change over the course of the film, Jessica? Um, I, I mean, I felt like it stuck with that. If music was being used, it was it was generally going for kind of a dramatic flair. Um, I felt it was a little a little bit confusing and I think it was intentional but I think it was a little confusing whereas that type of music that we are typically used in films to highlight um, either something important or something scary or something that should make you feel anxious is coming up or whatever that the music is used in odd instances where it doesn't necessarily pair with what's happening on screen. Yeah it's that I I even texted this to Adam I just texted duh duh (laughs) (laughs) like they use that sting like a hundred times over the course of the movie. And you're right. It's just at random times. Sometimes they're just walking down a hallway and nothing's happening. Sometimes something is about to happen and it kind of pairs, I guess, kind of well with that voice that we are talking about. It just makes you feel uneasy the whole time. And I feel like that in combination with the piercing beeping that randomly happens. <laughs> yeah. um, again, it, it, sometimes it seems like it's it's synced with something that you're supposed to realize is beeping. And then other times it's just it's just in there. Yeah. Again, that I thought, is that supposed to be a computer? And by the end of the movie, I was like, OK, I think that was supposed to be Alpha 60 maybe beeping. I don't know, Adam. <laughs> Do you have any idea what that sound was supposed to be? Disconcerting. Uh, beyond that. <laughs> I mean, do you think uh, it's it's just designed to like as a, to keep you as a viewer on your toes? Like you're just constantly having to pay attention because you're not really sure if it's significant or not. Yeah, I was trying to figure out watching it the second time if the beeping had any particular narrative like use, and I'm not actually sure that it did, or if it did in fact have some some particular narrative reason. I didn't pick up on it, so. Uh, but I thought though that the uh, part of the use of the overly dramatic music is just because they essentially want Godard wants to make this like a film noir that happens to be set in like a science fiction setting, right? Like he's literally using Lemmy Caution, who is a well-known, uh, well in France at least, a well-known, uh, you know, like film noir character. And Eddie Constantine, the guy who plays him in Alphaville, had played the role uh, several times prior in more. Uh, standard like film noir slash detective stories and there's a lot of situational or i guess design humor in this movie and that's one of those things where i'm pretty sure that he was added in there i guess also to have that connection to the sort of hard-boiled detective genre but also to be kind of like yeah now we're just gonna put him in the future (laughs) sort of the future and then we're gonna use him however we want it's not really going to have tons of relation to the other films that came before it yes so you see a lot of weird little stuff like that there in, in there or like two of the scientists names are heckle and jekyll oh and he asks at some point um he's asking if some people exist and he's asked if dick tracy like it was a whole bunch of things like that it was dick i can't remember the list uh it's dick tracy and guy leclerc flash gordon too i think yes yeah. flash gordon well guy leclerc is flash gordon in oh French. okay ah. oh Sorry. that so this is something that, to kind of switch topics a little bit, the version that I was able to get was whatever version is currently on Am- Amazon. Me which, too. Which comes in standard definition, and the subtitles are baked into the film. So mm-hmm. it's not like you turn on and off the subtitles. So I'm interested to know. I, I think some of, some things might be a little bit different. Do you know if there's any difference? Do you think there's any difference in the translation? According to the... Uh... The case of the Criterion DVD, see, this is one of the things you get when you're in physical media. (laughs) 
This new digital transfer was created from a 35 fine grain master made from the original negative. So my copy doesn't have baked in subtitles. It is in a 4.3 format. So obviously, you know, I had to stretch it out to 16.9 to get it to fill my TV screen. <laughs> but uh, that's totally not true. But some of your listeners just got really angry. <laughs> uh, to say you have to use the whole screen or else why did I buy it? <laughs> you guys are killing me right, <laughs> right. now. It hurts. <laughs> Make sure you turn on all the motion smoothing. <laughs> oh, gosh. That'd be bad. Yeah. No, no, I mean, no. To, to be fair, that's the correct response. The thing that's amazing about it is that I like you listing all of this ridiculous use of, of technology with something that was recorded, you know, 40-odd <laughs> years ago. And uh, right after, you're talking about how much you loved <laughs> physical media. <laughs> I really love abusing it. <laughs> Fair enough. Just, I, I really want my French New Wave movies to look as close to a soap opera as possible. That's really what <laughs> I noticed at least that, so this is a fairly early Criterion release, which I believe it's actually out of print. I don't think uh, Criterion has the rights to this film anymore, which is probably why you can't find a great copy of it. But I did notice that the subtitles on this actually seemed somewhat... Uh, poorer than I would have expected from a Criterion release. Oh, yeah? So I wonder like, if they were the yeah. same ones we had. I actually thought ours were okay. So I, I am not, at, for even a second, going to pretend like I speak fluent French or even close to it. I took three or four years in high school and early college and but so there, but there was at least enough that I could tell like when they had additional words and they were showing on screen or things like you know whatever they said a little bit more than they necessarily showed or things mm-hmm. like that and it seemed to line up pretty well yeah I noticed that there were lots of words that were not being translated um most of them most of them are simple stuff like you know hello Monsieur Johnson or whatever right oh, yeah but, yeah but it was enough that I was just like oh this like sometimes they're just not translating things. And I'm yeah. Yeah. Wondering, I'm wondering how accurate this uh, this uh, translation is as a result. And then other things like uh, so there's the two professors named Heckle and Jekyll, right? Being you know another pop culture reference, but the subtitlers completely miss this and end up spelling it in like a completely like phonetic way. Oh yeah, I think we had that too. What do you Did mean? Not, so. Like J E C K E L. there's C K E L. Or something. Oh, well, I was with a Y L or what? Well, I was getting things like E K E L for heckle. Oh, oh no, hey. we didn't no. have that. Yeah. No, I mean I knew what they were going for from looking at it. Yeah. I don't know. I also um I did have one gap in our subtitling at the end, but yeah, near the very end when he goes back to um civil control to try to rescue Natasha, there's a whole voiceover by Alpha Sixty that. Just it just doesn't throw in any. Oh of really? The, yeah. I might not have even it was probably it. a good ten seconds where it just didn't put any oh. subtitles on the bottom. Huh. And I backed up to make sure you know, just I'm like, wait, 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 am I missing something? And it just it just you don't need to know what they're saying right then, apparently. Yeah. So another crazy thing about this movie is that it's a okay, so it's a sci-fi movie, which you presume, at least at first, is set in the future. However, it's shot in Paris, right? In nineteen sixty five Paris, and there's not a lot there, there's they've chosen some locations that maybe looks slightly futuristic or at least modern, but there's not a lot of attempt to make this look like we're in the future. No, I, I liked that though. <laughs> yeah. I liked that they did it. Um, like you said, they made it look, it was modern where you had a lot of glass and a lot of metal um, 
and, you know, staircases. We really liked ourselves some spiral staircases in this movie. Yeah. They really like shooting those. <laughs> walking up the spiral staircase, walking down. <laughs> exactly. I imagine at the time these were like their most modern, most futuristic kind of looking locations. And so. And I think Godar actually, I don't know if hate is too strong a word, but he at least didn't like that style of architecture. And so part of the reason he's using it, I think, is because for him it's fairly dystopian. Oh. <laughs> Additionally, there is the timelines that they talk about. They talk about it being 65, which I guess you could presume would be like 2165 or 2265. But then they start referencing things that... Well, because isn't he a veteran of... Um, Guadalcanal. Yeah, the Guadalcanal. Yeah. Or like talking about how Russia and the United States had nukes like 20 years Th- earlier. Yeah, 30, yeah, 30 years yeah. prior. Yep. So they're making references to things that had just happened. So... Is well, this and the they, future? And, and they reference. Well, where is this? And they reference General Electric and IBM by name. Yes. They talk about Los Alamos, uh, yeah. scientists being at Los Alamos, or excuse me, not all, but a lot of the street names that get mentioned are named after scientists that, you know, I think today people who are in scientific fields would know, but maybe mm-hmm. at that time, so close on the heels of the atomic bomb actually being used, like would maybe be a little bit more prominent where more people in the world would know at that time. Uh, I mean, I guess, but in order, uh, you're assuming there's only ever going to be one battle at Guadalcanal. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, my translation actually had nothing about like an actual time frame regarding when the U.S. and the Russians had atomic power, so I can't comment <laughs> on that. Or mine was just like long ago or something like that. And uh, you're kind of asking a lot of a movie that's clearly just going more for a general impression of science fiction than any actual scientific accuracy, right? This is this is not trying to be 2001 or The Martian or anything like that. I mean, they're literally measuring time and light years. So what I came away with this was that he he's doing this on purpose. It wasn't that he wasn't trying hard enough yeah, to make no. it look futuristic. It's that he wanted to make something that had that sort of sci-fi feel to it, but was kind of grounded in now in a, again, this sort of weird, unsettling, uh, disjointed way. That's so the impression I got do, of it. I don't know do what his intent was. So you and I had a conversation over text, and you basically said to me that it's difficult to tell with Godard when he's intentionally doing things versus when he's just being sloppy. And I feel like this is actually probably one of those cases where he just doesn't really care that much. He's willing to reference things that people know about to, you know, to have a sense of playfulness and that extends to the names and stuff. But I don't think he's actually trying to root this in any way, shape or form. You know, yeah, I don't think it's a an over I don't think any of it's an oversight. I think it might be him either maybe doing it on purpose, but at least not caring. Right. His intent of the film is not to say like, yeah, OK, we really want you to feel like you're here in the future. It's more like here's the story we want to tell. I mean, we're talking about someone who literally has shots where you can see him reflected in mirrors. So, Right. And again, the sort of shoestring budget that they tended to have for these sorts of films, too. Right. And the sort of spontaneous feel that I think this has, right? That's part of that as well. Yeah. There's a story on Wikipedia about um, him having to write up the script to get like German funding or something. And so he sent somebody to write it up and then... They brought him and he was like, yeah, sure, fine. And then they gave it to the Germans to look over and they gave him the money. And apparently that had nothing to do with what he actually filmed. And he fully knew that because he had no interest in actually like having some written down script. He was feeling, you know, it was much more improvisational, as you said. 
So I think he's going more for a general feel than very specific points. I agree that um, he's not willing to invest. Like you said, it's not a 2001 or something like that where he's not trying to say this is specifically a point in time. Here's where we're at and here's what it's supposed to look and feel like. However, it's an intersection of things that look modern, that feel cold and distant, you know, that would fit in a computerized in a computerized world. So the clean glass metal lack of emotion, lack of warmth, kind of a feeling to it. There's a point at which I think it's the second conversation that he has one-on-one with Alpha 60, where he says to him is almost kind of this like exclamatory like thing, like, you can't wipe out an entire race. And like all of these different things are clearly referencing history that was within 20 years of when this movie was being made. And so it's touching on those things picking up kind of the darkest aspects of things that were still at that time of recent history and and piecing it around that. Um, and so I feel like it's heavily influenced by, you know, the te- obviously the technology of the 60s, by things that happened in World War II, by other um, movies and books and plays. And <laughs> I mean, he's just kind of dabbling, borrowing from all these different things and blending them together. So you're agreeing with me? That's what it sounds like. <laughs> I wasn't agreeing or disagreeing. I was just commenting. <laughs> or just bringing up a point. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think that we're all really on too much of a different page here. I think, yeah, he's going for an effect, really, mm-hmm. <laughs> rather than being literal or like very specific in the type of story he's trying to I tell. don't think that the lack of a, like, I don't know, it's established enough that it's the future that it's not distracting for me. Like, I can move forward paying attention to the story without being like, this is not the future. Like, it's not holding me up. So I think one of the issues for me watching it that I noticed it so much is that there are so many movies now that are very careful about the way that they, as Adam said, ground themselves in, you know, a very specific universe where, you know, that sort of thing would never get through the, the scripting or editing or filming process, right? Like every small, like misstep like that would be something that like would completely take you out of it. And here it's just that much more obvious. And I'm not oh, saying it's what there are tons of movies these days that don't do due diligence on this kind of stuff. Right. They just don't tend to get like super huge like box office. Right. But you can absolutely find these movies that are very loose with how they're treating the science. Wait, wait, wait. I are you, trying, you, are you trying to imply that movies that make it big in the box office are accurate in their science? <laughs> Have you well, seen the core? <laughs> yeah. I'm not saying science so much as history. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Wait, are you claiming the, the core was a box office smash? <laughs> <laughs> it, it, in the multiverse somewhere, there's some universe it in which made, it was. It made $74 million against an $85 million budget. Why do you have those numbers at your fingertips? Why? Almost even. That's pretty good. <laughs> Because I live in the future and smartphones have Wikipedia on them. (laughs) What are we fighting about? Something that we agree on, I think. (laughs) That's what this movie brings out in us, I think. I was saying that I didn't think whether or not he established how strongly he established it was the future was distracting from the story. I think that it was fine. It was it was established enough that I could move forward to pay attention to the story. And I think all Charlie was saying that nowadays, if you try to do something this kind of haphazard, that it might have a stronger rejection from audiences because they've come to expect that you do a little bit more, go through a right. few more motions which to establish where why, you are. Which is why, because I respect him as a director, I assumed then that that was completely on purpose by design where he was going to set up that it was a sci-fi, but not really. Not really care. Yeah. Or only care as much as it was convenient for him. 
Okay, but you're phrasing that like you disagree with us, but it doesn't sound like you do. <laughs> oh, I didn't. I did not. I don't think he's phrasing it like he's disagreeing with us. Well, I do, and well, it's hurtful. We'll we'll have to agree to agree, Adam. <laughs> eight, <laughs> eight better than four. And, and as long as we're talking about the technology that was shown, you have um, a camera, which, from my understanding, was it was a camera that would have been used in the mid 60s that he's carrying around with him but there's a point in time would have been fairly modern i think exactly and so he but he makes a comment um about how much he loves old technology and referencing the camera (laughs) (laughs) which i thought was confusing and he says this right before he walks in the giant computer room um which is my one of my favorites because obviously it's incredibly (laughs) noisy and it's all the you know the huge like mainframe computers with the big magnetic tape you know and reels and the massive printer and it's 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 wonderful see let me caution would also be a physical media kind of (laughs) guy yes you guys should go get drinks together (laughs) but he'd have some good stories with your level three seductresses in tow Mm, get some of that leg action Um, I was also thinking with, so you have the use of, obviously we talked about the sounds, we talked about the music and we talked about the beeping and we talked about the narrator's or Alpha 60's voice, but also just the miscellaneous use of flashing arrows of, um, neon, neon, yeah, Yeah. neon close-ups of equations. (laughs) Yeah. But those were the ones yeah. that stuck out the most in my north memory. North and south. I yes. had to look up what those Nord were. Nord and Sud. <laughs> yep. The north and south end of town. I guess, was that to signify where he was? I also think it was a nod to east and west Berlin, but that's just oh, me. Yeah. Oh, I did not pick up on that, but actually that's very reasonable. Sorry, just one thing I did enjoy regarding the music is how um, in like the initial scene, he turns on the jukebox that he has in his room and then it has the fight scene stage to the like light music i actually really enjoyed that oh yeah (laughs) i thought that was a nice juxtaposition or they also have the sound cut off yes i think at one point just stone cold silent because you know what we don't want to deal with filtering background noise right now let's just kill it all yeah it does frequently feel like this is a student film in some ways we're just like oh well we forgot to get coverage for this so we're just going to duck the sound for 10 seconds as a reference to our other podcast, the Kobeski Wallace Report. So we just put out an episode about Hulk, which was the 2003 movie by Ang Lee about the Incredible Hulk. Ang Lee Please. did a movie about the Incredible Hulk? He did, yes. That, the first one. Yeah. I can't believe I live in a world where Ang Lee did a movie about the Incredible Hulk. Okay. He, he had so much cultural cachet after Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, and he said, I want to do the Hulk. <laughs> and he has all of these really weird editing techniques he uses, too, kind of to emulate... I guess, comic book frames and comic book styles and transitions and panels. panels okay. Yes. <laughs> and I thought it would would have been really interesting to watch Alphaville before I watched that and kind of <laughs> get a sense of why he might have wanted to do that and kind of push the envelope a little bit more. Because at the time we recorded that, I kind of complained a little bit like he's doing too much. Like, I appreciate that he's trying to do something interesting, but it's visually distracting. And I bet if I had just come off of Alphaville, I would have been a lot more... Uh, pleasantly surprised by it because i feel like this movie it throws a lot at you a lot of different styles a lot of different techniques even sometimes like you're saying within the same the same sequence that it's kind of hard to keep up a lot of the time yeah but again that kind of makes the movie like you watched it a second time it kind of lends itself well to rewatching, which i think is why a lot of people like it it's not something you need to hug a dog or something yeah he's whining a little bit um are you all willing to Take a 10-minute break. He needs to go out. That's what he needs to do. Yeah, that's fine. 
Thank you. Unless you'd rather edit out whimpering. No, I just didn't know it was picking up, but thank you for letting me know. Yeah. But yeah, that's his, I need to go out wine. So sorry. I okay. tried to do my best ahead of time. You're fine. That means we have to have a really deep edifying conversation at this point. So he can't <laughs> cut it. Good. Uh, I was just reading through my notes. So when he first meets up with Natasha, like, you know, he meets her, but then they agree to meet up later and she's at the the memory center or whatever. Yes, yes. The central central memory. And so she's oh, wow. she's like I, in school or whatever. And it's yeah. super unsettling. <laughs> I actually just found it really slow. Like to the point I literally had to keep going back, rewinding and watching, rewinding and watching, because I kept drifting because Alpha 60 talks so slowly through that sequence. Yeah. He would like have like the first third of a sentence and it would take him forever to get through it. And I would have already like been daydreaming about like, you know, the difference of why versus because because they're little like <laughs> graphics on the screen. Right. And then I would yes. have to constantly rewind because I had no idea what he was actually talking about. Several points in that scene, I think it's introduced, and then several points they refer back to the fact that the present is the th- is the only thing that's supposed to matter. That we're not supposed to oh, care yeah. about the past, and that we're not supposed to even care about the future. That we're only supposed to care about the present. And so, um, I thinking about that, I was saying in our earlier conversation when we were arguing but not arguing about whether or not it was sci-fi enough, is that you could also, if you wanted to, say that basically he's saying the present is all that matters, so you don't even really need to care about the exact timeline of where of where this is taking place yeah my main feeling after coming away from that was trying to figure out wait if time's a circle and it's <laughs> an upward curve here and a downward oh he's on the side of the circle okay <laughs> so i think i just naturally wanted to start the present at like the top of the circle yes and then let's go down either way and, and he didn't describe it that way and i was like wait how would this work oh okay gotcha yeah no it's uh it's, it's definitely, like you said, it's supposed to be dense. I mean, they're trying to throw a lot of stuff at you at the same time, you know. And while you're pondering that, something's beeping and lights are flashing and music's doing weird stuff. And Yeah. Yeah. Um, I did, there were a couple of the things I actually bothered to, like, quote out, which would, you know, doesn't, oh, wow. doesn't it make sense that someone who lives in suffering needs a different sort of religion than someone who lives in well-being? I, I thought it was interesting the use of the word religion tied in with the fact that what they keep referring to as the Bible actually turns out to be a dictionary of allowed words. <laughs> yeah, I actually really like that. Like yeah. little, uh, that touch. Yeah. The idea that, oh, our religious text is what you can and can't say. Yep. And it's literally what you can and can't say. Yeah. Things- well, I guess it's not what you can't say because that's gone. But you know what I mean? Like you said, they, they don't anything that's not in there doesn't have meaning or significance to the people. You know, and and that every day things are being stripped out. Is there a word that they like they used to know and then it's not in the dictionary so they don't get to know it anymore? I feel like she brings that up, but I can't remember what word it was. She does. She actually lists several things and at least the translation that we could see was like autumn light and tenderness tenderness. or something. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. There were a couple of different things like that that were no longer available, but she, she used to like them. Yeah. And then that she doesn't know the uh, the proper gender of the word conscience. Yes. I like that she's all like happy that it's female. Yeah. Like, that's right. That's my word. Back off. <laughs> it's interesting because one of the other things that Alpha 60 says in that, in that weird teaching portion is that the acts of man throughout the centuries will gradually logically destroy them. And so I feel like it's essentially a um, foreshadowing for itself. Oh, yeah, but because doesn't he say at some point that like so yeah that's going to happen so logically uh, 
I Alpha 60 will be the instrument of the destruction or something like that. Yeah. Like, I feel like that's like the, the, the closing stinger that you get left with when they leave that scene. What did I mean? I, I love that we're doing this while Charlie's gone. Um, what did you <laughs> What did you think about the fact that the representation, like the visual representation of Alpha Sixty talking to you, is essentially a light through a fan? Oh yeah, a light through a fan through like bed springs. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, through bed springs. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I uh, I guess I just kind of went. Oh, huh. Bed springs. <laughs> Because I kind of liked it because, I mean, obviously Alpha 60 is not going to have a face and you could show like a computer console, like the massive one at the end, which is spectacular. It, it made it somehow a little bit anthropomorphic. I know that seems really weird to think of because it's just a light through a fan with bed springs, but like they have the light blinking off and on and the fan blades like sometimes turning and sometimes not or whatever to kind of give you this idea of at least it's something you're interacting with. Oh, that it's alive in some sense. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I actually just found the uh, the Westinghouse light bulb for me, I think, was probably the most effective one, even though it is just literally a, a Westinghouse branded light bulb. But just the way it like comes on and turns off and, yeah. you know, it's it's very stark, but it does have, you know, like you're saying, a bit of that like motion, like life to it because yeah. it's not just constantly on blazing. Yeah, I don't know, just a little bit of a, a back and forth response. I wonder action. I wonder how much Godard was, if at all, influenced by like 1984. Either, I feel I feel like it was hugely either the book or <laughs> or like some of the the teleplays, like the adaptations on TV. It had to have been very influenced by 84. At least you can draw a lot of comparisons with in terms of like you know things you're allowed to talk about, things you're not allowed to talk about. But in the last third of the movie, quarter of the movie, um, when he and Natasha, when the Lemmy and Natasha are having tea in his hotel room and they're sitting at a little table and they're talking and they're talking about specifically that Bible and that it's actually a dictionary and what's allowed and not allowed, a decent portion of that scene is conducted sitting like 90 degree, perp- sitting perpendicular to them, looking at a television screen and all you see are their oh, hands. Yeah. And the it, reflection in the, in the yeah. glass. Yeah. And it felt very much like what, I mean, I only ever read 1984, but it felt very much to me like what I would have expected from the the tele- television screen things in, in 1984. Because um, she's very alarmed that she said why and keeps asking him, like, when did I say that? And, you know, I couldn't have said that. And, and she said, well, I, I've made a mistake you know, or something like that. I was foolish or something like that. Um, and it's all done in front of that screen like it's being observed. It very much reminded yeah. me of 1984 anyway. I also thought it was just sort of interesting how laissez-faire Alpha 60 is about Lemmy Caution's presence in Alphaville. Me too. He clearly knows he's there, right? Because he's talks on the initial in the initial hotel scene, even if it's just basic stuff like when he orders stuff, right? Like it's the same yeah. voice. Yeah. Yeah. And then like they take him in for questioning and then they just let him go and like show off everything to him. Like I'm not even sure... What yeah, they were he's thinking, a, he's maybe allowed just to logic- take pictures and yeah. Yeah. So like maybe logically he'll have to see that we're doing the right thing. Like maybe that was the rationale. I thought, well, there's at least two separate points where they make a, they make a show of saying that it would be illogical not to a- allow highly intelligent people to travel ar- between galaxies. Yeah, you're right. And, that's and they the do say he's only above reason. intelligence. Yeah, that he would get a whole like chunk of galaxy to himself if uh, if only he would have like partnered up with von Braun. <laughs> yeah, he would have money and women. <laughs> 
So, Mine was translated as gold and women. <laughs> oh, you know, you're right. It was gold and women. Charlie, it's, we okay. totally uh, kept talking without you. You probably don't want to cut all that. All right. That's fine. We were, we were talking about the really creepy scene when he first meets up, meets up with Natasha at like the the center of memory or the central memory, and she's in school or whatever. Oh, yeah. And we were talking about that. So we were talking about, yeah, we talked a lot about that. Yeah, and the pictures that they had up and, yeah. Yes. And, and yeah, it was just very unusual. See, I was talking with Jessica when she came over, too, that I had started like maybe an hour before the podcast, I started over the movie from the beginning again, just because I thought I had forgotten stuff and I forgot tons of stuff. Like there's so much that happened. I completely forgot about that yeah. scene altogether. And there's only one other one that I wrote down. Again, this was kind of that transition um, after his first interview with Alpha 60 and he's been released. He said there's a voiceover that's whether it be in the so-called capitalist world or the communist world, there is no evil intent to subjugate men through the power of indoctrination or of finance. And I just wrote WTF after it because I was really <laughs> trying hard to figure out what of, of the big philosophical like statements made in this movie, what I was supposed to be making like heads or tails of out of it. That's an interesting question to bring up too. all the stuff that Alpha 60 says. A lot of it is very philosophical, and we've heard from earlier in the film that, like, okay, he like we fed poetry into it, and we fed all these sorts of things, so it understands what that is, and it's categorized it. So are we supposed to believe that Alpha 60 buys into any of these things, or is he just repeating it? Are they some sort of cohesive argument, the whole thing, or is it just, I mean, essentially gibberish because it's all of these things being thrown out? I don't know. I thought it was really fascinating near the end when she said that you know, it knows about poetry and that when things are slow over at Civil Control or one of them, I don't remember which place now, that they like find poetry, basically like scan in poetry into the system so it can like understand it and catalog it or whatever. But basically it's not trusted because it doesn't have a single meaning. Like they think there's secrets in yeah. it or something. Yeah. I don't know. Adam, do you have a take on that as far as oh, I what think are we supposed to get just, from all this? Uh, I think the idea there is just like, a computer can, you know, scan poetry and read it, but not understand it. I think it's basically right. Computers don't have souls. You need you need a soul to understand poetry or, you know, something to that effect. So all the things it was saying essentially were purposely disjointed because that's how I felt. It was like it's saying things that seem profound, yet somehow I'm not connecting all of these things together. I mean, is that? Yeah. Okay. I don't know. I know. It's kind of it's kind of big. Like I said, from uh, from roughly. The point at which he has the first interview with Alpha 60 to the moment where he steals the police car and then goes to find uh, Professor Von Braun. Um, I was pretty disconnected from this whole movie. Like I was just kind of like, oh, my gosh, this is still going. <laughs> yeah. Like, like I just found it really slow at that point. That's really funny because I was because I think of the three of us, I was the person who was least likely to be engaged in this film but i was working my ass off guys like i'm taking <laughs> like i have crazy notes in this phone here i was taking crazy notes and i was stopping and backing up and pondering like i wonder why they put this part in there and then i wonder like the sequence of events i think is kind of interesting because you know he gets there he's told to go check in with civil control and of course he doesn't and he's very kind of obstinate and intentionally doesn't do all these things when he first get there that he's told to do um and very aggressively like will like slap people out of his way and things like that 
Um, I did enjoy those slaps. <laughs> I did too. Like, can I take your suitcase? No, no, you may not take my suitcase. <laughs> I am offended that you reached. Um, I really enjoyed the uh, the one off screen slap where you just hear the impact. <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> I do know exactly what you're talking about. But yeah, so he he gets there and he meets Natasha and he decides to meet up with her and she's in the creepy school. And then they leave the creepy school and they end up going to where executions happen. Oh, yeah. We and there's talked about that, that whole scene. For me, this, I think, was actually probably the best scene of the movie. This was the this was the scene that I thought they executed. Haha. Sorry. Uh, the best. <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs> You'll never convince me you didn't do that on purpose. Adam. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. It's written in his notes. Pause for laughs. <laughs> yeah. I really like the way that the rationale behind why they're killing people is that, oh, they've dared to be illogical in some way. The way they get to sort of make their final statements about like, you know, we should feel things. And then they get shot. They fall into a pool. And then like bathing beauties go and stab them with knives, right? Like, Oh, do they have knives? Yep. Okay. I thought they were just holding them underwater. Oh, no. They're literally stabbing them. And that's a hell of an image, right? Instance number 100 of where I saw it, didn't trust my eyes. And then they showed it the second time, like, yep, I saw that correctly. That's what they're doing. Okay, I totally missed the knives because, yeah, I was confused, too, because I'm like, okay. so And I thought it was very interesting that if you consider what they're being executed for, which is not fitting into a world that's just logic, that's just pure logic and reason, that they said that they execute 50 men for every one woman. (laughs) (laughs) It totally amused me. I was like, all right, then. (laughs) Women totally have this dystopian thing down. <laughs> but um but yeah, no, that that they like you said, they get to kind of have their last their last say. They get shot again almost bloodlessly. I'm sure it was just to keep budget in line to not mm-hmm. have to deal with sure. all the all of that. Fall into the pool and then yeah, and there's even And everyone applauds. And everyone applauds, which is super cold. And then um, like you said, you have these women that swim over, you know, assist in the execution and kind of usher them off to the side and there's even like a synchronized swimmer element to it. Like you stay focused on one of them for a while while they do like a little routine thing. <laughs> You're like, oh, oh, okay. Was this uh, on the, the wa- rewatching of the beginning? Was this part of the festival that they were talking about? Because she know said they were going to go to like a gala. Or, I, and- I think this was the end. This may have been the end of the festival because I thought there was some dialogue about them trying to catch it. And but then- yeah, that's the most memorable scene of the whole movie. Yeah, and that's actually my last note until I have a note demanding that Charlie explain why it suddenly goes into negative for various portions. <laughs> actually, yeah. Yes. But, but but that means there's like a whole portion of the movie I wrote no notes on because I was just like, Yeah, oh. I have all the notes you didn't write, my friend. I mean, yeah. we oh, can, good. Yeah. So our powers combined. Yeah. Just before we leave the execution yeah. scene, I did like try to jot down what the one man who like kind of talks the longest before he gets executed he's you know listen to me normal ones um we see a truth that says the essence of man is love and faith courage and tenderness generosity and sacrifice everything else is an obstacle put up by your progress and ignorance which i thought was quite a bit to throw out there before (laughs) and that they let him say all of it before they executed him why he was allowed to say that much before he was executed seems strange to me well they're not going to listen to him right so maybe to demonstrate yeah why why we got to off this guy Listen to all this nonsense he's saying. I don't know, but yeah. right after that is when he, the your your lead guy Lemmy Caution is like jumped in the elevator. He gets all beat up, unconscious, and you see the girl for the first time like struggle to not cry. 
And I think yeah. even one of the miscellaneous agent guys like say something to her like, are you going to cry? And she said, no, that would be forbidden. <laughs> but you can see the tear running down her cheek. Dun, dun, dun. Especially because the lighting changes to make it obvious. Yep. <laughs> so I, I guess you get you kind of touched on, I think the last subject I had written down is that there were so many different weird camera and editing techniques in this movie. I guess pick one. Like, what did you think was interesting? And we can try no, to figure out No, I want you to explain them to me. Sure, I'll try. I mean, I think that's... Ex- explain to me the, the weird romance scene where it's like, their faces unmoving while the lights change on them, right? The literal parody of French New Wave films. I want you to explain that to me. <laughs> I also want you to explain to me why it suddenly goes negative for times and then cuts back to positive with like no obvious reasoning, like rationale back and forth I, to me. I, I want like, you to discuss it. I feel like it falls in the same me. category as the random beeping. <laughs> well, I so what I don't necessarily buy is that the entire movie like every single choice that's made is to make you feel uneasy like the things we talked about before i totally agree i think but there's these things that he's talking about right now i'm like there has to be some other reason for them to be there or some motive and it's kind of hard to discern i mean maybe the lighting changes is like they're talking a lot about like lightness versus darkness for like emotion right, versus like, the moment where she like waves her hand in front of his face right like what <laughs> yeah i know the only thing i took away from that scene was that it was what what it for me it was so you have you have this montage of like you said their faces and some of them like some things where she's either touching his face or putting her hands in front of his face or him touching her face or her hair um reaching out to her in the darkness in front of the window that's the entire thing is her reading a single poem over top of that. And so she's just been introduced or reintroduced to poetry. We find out that she she's you know remembering that it existed before, that she's seen it before. And he says that he loves her and she doesn't understand what that means. And he goes to touch her and she says, I know this. She's like, this is, um, I think she said seduction. And he's yeah. like, no. He's like, seduction can't exist without love. And so I understood that whole montage, while strange, to be intimacy, to not be about sex, to not be about you know, this kind of like emotionless thing that they've made it to be with the level three seductresses and their branding with numbers. But this is supposed to be actually about intimacy. I think that's what he was going for. It was packaged in a weird ass package. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. Is that a, is that a good explanation, Adam? <laughs> that's fine. Uh now explain the negative shots to me. Did they just run out of? Did yeah. they run out of money and couldn't process all the shots? Like, what's going on? I'm, I'm letting Charlie take that one. I got this one. I'm done. I'm out. Let's see. When did it happen? It happened when he was walking out to. I it, guess the, the first time car. it happens is when he yeah he walks out to the police car. It happens when he goes to steal the other car. I think it happens one or other one or two other times as well. Is it just about cars? Yep, that's. I don't know <laughs> if they're supposed to cars. highlight the climax of the movie. It like could chaos? be. It's a technique they don't use until towards the end. Yeah, and it just could just be another, I guess, sense of danger. I don't know. It's the first or... time we go to the north side of the city. I think otherwise we'd been entirely south, sued because north and there's like snowing and there's like the slowest car chase ever. Oh yeah. <laughs> on snow ever so slightly snow covered streets but my favorite they're, i actually giggled out loud to, they're probably just not used to car chases in alphaville <laughs> i just totally started laughing out loud when they like spun around because the roads are slippery and then continue the chase in reverse but really yeah. slowly 
what I got from that scene was that he reversed and then they like intuitively followed what he was doing because that's what they thought they were supposed to do. And then he turned back forward and he's trying to trick them into no driving backward because they don't turn around again. He does. So it's like this weird sort of like Wiley Coyote cartoony thing almost. I, I honestly couldn't tell you it was it was really slow. And the aerial shots of like him like driving out of that parking lot with like the police oh, in yeah, slow, yeah. clumsy pursuit. I yeah. was it was strange. The worst police car. It's just <laughs> like if you had moved your car like five more feet, you could have blocked him. He couldn't have gotten out. But nope, you just let him go. I just thought about this too. Like in that scene, the he's basically driving the car around in at least a semicircle. Like the implication is maybe he's gonna go around in a complete circle, but they do that a lot too with the hallways and the stairways, which kind of ties into that whole time the, is a the, circle theme that they were talking well, about well and too. the, the riddle that movement. he that he gives alpha 60 so i i guess i didn't think until you just mentioned that parking lot scene i hadn't really thought about i remembered thinking yeah why are they going around in a circle <laughs> <laughs> i don't know it was strange huh. yeah it was definitely strange but no i honestly don't have a great explanation adam except that a lot of these things are just like how did you feel when that particular scene happened it's hard to figure out what the intent was specifically except to make you feel confused yeah confused well that's another part of french new wave it's supposed to keep you on your toes it's supposed to make you think about it instead of making you feel comfortable so so confusion is not uh it's not a inappropriate reaction to this sort of thing i don't think so speaking of confused (laughs) let's talk about this whole film speaking of confused no but speaking of confused (laughs) in particular as we're approaching the end there was the negative shots like you said and I get that he's trying, you know, he, he had two, he has two goals. He wants to find the agent there and obviously he's dead. And so then he needs to capture or kill uh, Von Braun, which I think is a nod to uh, Werner Von Braun, again, on the heels of World War II. Um, and so I love how he just kind of strolls into the building and it's just like, what else? Like, I just strolled into the building and, oh, look, I found him in his lab coat strolling with a whole bunch of other engineers. And I love that Von Braun is smoking the entire time he's mm-hmm. walking. I love that our guy just walks in, falls in behind them and starts taking pictures and just has his gun out. And it's like, what else? Like, he just immediately gains access, immediately talks to the guy. It's all business. But then what I'm really confused by is when the whole city starts to fall apart, like, it's made clear that if not everybody, very nearly everybody is dying because they're like malfunctioning. I don't know what's going on. They're all like melting down and clawing at the walls. What leads to that? I didn't uh, pick up on that either. They got the the lack of computers, right? Is so they've they've lost their purpose in life. They they no longer know how to function as human beings because all the emotions been taken away from them. So now they all they essentially are, are like sub processing units slave to the main computer alpha 60 and without alpha 60 they they're they're directionless and so that includes that includes dying did did we in did am i supposed to understand that alpha 60 was no longer because i guess i didn't pick up on that i I think the idea was that without uh von braun there to constantly monitor and you know work on alpha 60 it was just immediately going to go to crap yeah is that what i'm supposed to understand the only the only thing i could figure is that at least from the movie's perspective, they're linked. Okay. Von Braun and the computer are linked somehow. I mean, maybe not literally, but somehow well, see, figuratively. I was tripping over that because I'm like, okay. I, I had the same same deal here. So by killing Von Braun, he's in essence killing Alpha 60. So is it like the one-two punch of giving Alpha 60 the riddle and shooting Von Braun? Yeah, is I that the riddle has something to do with it. Because I, th- I feel like the riddle was supposed to be playing a larger role here. Yeah, so Lemmy gives... 
during one of his interviews gives Alpha 60 uh, a riddle to solve that he's not able to solve. And you kind of get the impression that maybe this is going to be the downfall of the computer. He's going to spend up so much of his free memory what was the trying riddle? to solve it. It was long. Something about a straight line in circles. That's all I remember. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't know what the answer was supposed to be. Maybe it was also supposed to be poetry or... It was supposed to be something like that because he said... Because Alpha 60 brags or... about how he's going to put all these resources on it and he'll figure it out. And he's like, if you figure it out, it'll like be your destruction or something because you will be my brother or something that doesn't oh, make any sense. Oh, yeah. That if you were to understand what this, the answer was, then you would be human. Yes, basically. Yeah, so I I don't I don't know, but I, f- I felt like those things those two things are supposed to lead to the end where everybody's freaking out and clawing at the walls. I don't know. <laughs> I think that's kind of where we're at by the end of the movie. <laughs> Leaves it open ended. Anyway, it all <laughs> gets tied up with a nice little bow, though, because uh, almost everybody in Alphaville is going to be killed because they can't handle, as you guys explained, the not being driven by the computer, basically. Something along those Organized. lines. Can't handle the truth of human existence. <laughs> <laughs> they need Jack Nicholson. But um, but yeah, so she, though, gets saved, is at least what I understand. Yes, yes, because she understands love. <laughs> love is all you need. And the Beatles start playing. Not, a, not at this point. <laughs> a couple years away from that. I was going to say, I think, yeah, good call. But yeah, I mean, that's the, that's the thesis of the whole movie, right? Is the you need love and you need a conscience and... You don't need all Computers of this. Computers suck. Yep. <laughs> Computers are terrible. He sees where the future is going and he doesn't like it. I felt like there. Okay. Only we could step back from the precipice of all this computerization. Exactly. And I think it, in, in similarly tying with that, you know, they kept trying to stress that only the present matters. The past and the future don't matter. And they're saying very much so that the past, at least the past matters, like who you are and where you've come from and all of that matters. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, we talked through it and I don't know. Do we all feel like we're at a better place with it? Like we understand more now having talked with each other or not? Um, Yeah. I think having discussed it with both of you, I've come to a greater appreciation for the movie than I think I initially had on my own. I don't know. It felt like felt like being in like high school or college English classes where you have to read some book that you had absolutely no interest in reading, like, and then discuss <laughs> it. And then you're like, okay, all right, I can kind of see. I can kind of <laughs> see, see what we're doing this. here. Okay. Yeah. Why can't we just talk about Princess Bride? <laughs> <laughs> that was what I was suggesting. <laughs> it just, yeah. It's, like, it's almost, oh, the yeah. symbolism. Oh, okay, I get it now. It's almost, I've, a lot of times with movies like this, it's almost not worth watching them unless you can discuss it with someone. It's just so hard to wrap your head around personally. I don't know. I always enjoy, enjoy it a lot more like we did with Solaris. It's like, oh, okay, I'm starting to get a little bit of what's going on when you get other people's perspectives on it. Yeah, I definitely needed some of your guys' perspectives because I was only viewing it one way. Yeah. yeah. I, this I, is I why s- it's frustrating to me that you haven't seen Infinity War yet because I can't talk to you about it. <laughs> I've got so many more movies that we've got to get through first, Adam. Well, we only got like, what, 50 movies, Charlie, before we get to that point? Yeah, we can we can do it. We can do yeah. one a day if we get there in two months. <laughs> <laughs> so, Adam, ultimately, would you recommend this movie to other people to watch? Eh. Uh, uh, <laughs> I don't know. I it does sort of have that feel, yeah, of like assigned readings of like, okay, yeah, I'm glad I watched it for that, like getting the sense of just like, okay, here's what the movie's actually about, and 
I can kind of sort of appreciate it, but I don't know that I actually like would recommend that other people watch it unless they're like really into this kind of thing. I just, I feel like a lot of the themes that this movie touches on actually end up being done much more accessibly in like other movies and TV shows and stuff. And I would hesitate to say that they're influenced by this movie because certainly some of them at least are, you know, contemporary with this movie, right? Like, you know, a lot of just even like the Star Trek episodes where Kirk fights a computer, right? Like, I think are more accessible than this movie is. And I would be honestly pretty surprised if it turned out that like Gene Roddenberry and Gene Kuhn and all those guys were like influenced by this movie if they'd even seen it. So, yeah, I don't know. I've looked up what other sort of things this movie had influenced subsequently, and the list wasn't as long as I thought it would be. I was surprised. One I was, was yeah. the band Alphaville, which I'd never heard of, which is actually the first thing that comes up on Google it's, if you type in Alphaville. It's a German Alphaville. band, isn't it? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I think, yeah. I thought so. It um, made me laugh. But the one that was actually really funny was that the music video for the song Linger by the Cranberries. <laughs> Wait, what? How? Look it up. <laughs> no way. Like, there's no way you'd pick it up unless you had seen this movie. But if you watch that right now, you're like, yeah, they just watched that movie and then tried to recreate the scenes from it. Like, it's really bizarre. In the music video? Yeah. Okay, I've never seen the music video for it. I didn't remember the music video. Holy crap. Yeah. Just like the first (laughs) scene is this flashing light in black and white. And then you could say, okay, well, that's just a coincidence. But keep watching. Uh, Yeah, Alphaville the Band is a German synth-pop new wave band, which gained popularity in the 1980s. Yeah, that's basically exactly what I would expect from a band called Alphaville. Exactly. (laughs) Wow. So this music video is totally going in the show notes, then. Yes, absolutely. So, Adam, you've watched a movie that I guess you thought we should all watch. (laughs) Uh, Now's your chance to recommend something to the world you think they should experience. Uh, if you want to watch a movie about an outsider who enters a particular world to overthrow an evil computer that's controlling everything, I think you can't go wrong with the 1982 film Tron. Ah, yes. Which is one of my favorites, even though I don't know if I would actually like say this is one of the great movies, but it's a very enjoyable movie, even if it's not like a brilliant classic. But I really like Tron and everyone should see Tron. (laughs) At least once. Agreed. Yeah. I may have only seen Tron the first time at your urging, I think, probably back in high school or early college. But I'm glad I've had a positive influence on your life. <laughs> in many ways, yes. <laughs> in the in Tron ways, if nothing yes. else. <laughs> then did I drag you to the sequel too? Did we go yes, see that in the yes, theaters? Yes, we saw that yeah. together, yep. Which is also I also like Tron Legacy. That's a that's an underrated film. Yeah. yeah. I think, in my opinion, one of the worst things that happened as a result of disney buying the star wars franchise is that they no longer felt the need to have their own sci-fi franchise which means it's we're not going to get tron 3 anytime soon oh yeah just not as popular of a franchise yeah it's a shame anyway those are that's my recommendation what about all y'all um my recommendation this episode is actually an experience i had you were questioned by a computer Yes, I was questioned by a computer, and I, I failed that test. <laughs> it was called the GRE. <laughs> that was terrible. <laughs> that, test too. that was terrible and funny. Um, I went to the Wisconsin Film Festival. It was a lot of fun. I hadn't actually, uh, for as many years as I've been here, I've never even thought to do it, and it's just 
like a mile from my house and you can see there's probably I think there was over 100 movies playing over the course of a week. So I got a chance to see I think four and one of the ones I saw was a Bertolucci film and he was heavily influenced by French New Wave filmmaking it was called Before the Revolution and I didn't like it. <laughs> but I'm not sorry that I saw it. I was so it's it goes back to my uh you both know my Doctor Strange experience where yes. I was falling asleep during it. This was falling another asleep. one. Falling asleep. Charlie went to see this movie. I think he saw the first half hour. <laughs> All right. And then he woke up because the credits at the end like were noisy. I don't know. It was really funny. I was like, did you just shake awake? Like, were you asleep that whole time? But there was another there was another movie that I wanted to see later. So I was like, oh, well, I might as well go see this Bertolucci film. It's supposed to be pretty good. And it, this sort of stuff is not the sort of stuff you want to fall asleep to. <laughs> you have really strange dreams and it's almost impossible to follow. But um I wasn't sorry. Everyone else seemed to enjoy it. <laughs> and I really like the other movies that I saw too. So, And it's just fun to kind of go and see it with an audience who's really excited to see it. That's cool. Yeah. That would be fun. I have not gone either, either. And it is silly because it is so accessible. I mean, it's right here. The hardest part is deciding what to see because you don't know what any of the movies are for the most part. Exactly. Well, I'm trying to decide what I was going to recommend because I don't really have any... I don't have any prior experience with a uh, French New Wave film. <laughs> go so the I feel other like direction. I, I feel like I can't. I can't really do that. I don't know for no reason in particular. I think I'll recommend uh, the artist, which mm. was both black and white and silent, or almost completely silent. Which is just a you know, it's it's a different way to experience a movie. I felt like this was a different way to experience a movie. But I saw it in the theater, and I enjoyed it a lot more than I was anticipating that I would. Yeah. So I guess yeah. I'll throw that out there. So. Uh... Adam, I hear you have another podcast that maybe it'd be worth worth mentioning at this point if there's something you want to plug. Yes, I do. Thank you, Charlie. Um, <laughs> so uh, I do have another podcast. Uh, it's called the Gobeski Wallace Report. No relation. That's a lie. <laughs> this is the podcast I the other podcast that Charlie does, unless he's doing multiple podcasts and I don't know about the other ones, which I would not put past him. But uh, <laughs> I, I would currently describe the Govesky Wallace Report as both a comedy hangout podcast and a dis- in-depth discussion of Marvel movies, depending on what episode you catch. Yeah. It's sort of gotten very, uh, very, what's the word? Not schizophrenic, but kind of like that. Bipolar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's edited like a French New Wave film. <laughs> you don't know what you're going to get. <laughs> Yeah, where we've uh, we've decided to watch uh, every Marvel movie, not just the cinematic universe that Infinity War is part of, but literally any property that uh, is based on a Marvel comic book that got a theatrical release or was intended for a theatrical release, we're watching it. And as uh, Charlie mentioned, we've just recently finished uh, the 2003 film Hulk, so we got 15 years to catch up on. And it turns out that... Uh, the further in you get, the more movies there are. So we're going to slow down even further at some point. <laughs> but uh, you can find us at www.gobeskywallacereport.com, all one word. And uh, it's a great time and it's great for the family. Well, thank you very much for coming on the show, Adam. We always enjoy having you. Oh, good, because uh, I'm going to be on the next two as well. Oh, are you? <laughs> I'm going to muscle my way in. <laughs> well, do we got two very Do you even know what the next two are going to be? Yes, we I mean, do. you and I, I do, but I don't know they are. Uh, <laughs> I was told they were diehard and children of men. So this is this I'm is showing cool. up for both. I may not say much because I'm not the guest, but I will be there. 
<laughs> just to correct Charlie. Live corrections. Wrong <laughs> yeah. That means less editing Instead for me later. After the fact I'm cool with it. Yeah. And if you'd like to see more of us between episodes, make sure to check out our website, cinematicrespect.com, or check us out on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or Letterboxd. All right, that means the plot synopsis falls to you. I'll, I do have an intro. Okay. Yeah. Is it talk about me being a level three seductress? Because <laughs> if your intro doesn't be. include that, then I'm not interested. <laughs> I really want to know about the promotional aspects of seductressing. It <laughs> <laughs> means there's a hierarchy, right? How does the hierarchy work? Charlie and I were just discussing this. Is three out of five, ten? Is three the highest? Is three, you know, what is this? Well, is it is a three-star general, or is it like third place? <laughs> oh, yeah. Fair enough. But apparently it's totally cool to just randomly grope their legs. Nothing else. <laughs> just legs. <laughs> anyway. Let me do that and then reject you. <laughs> anyway.